0: This is Claudia Gray, and you're listening to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, this is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them.
1: Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello, I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Wars. Another chapter is here. Welcome to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I am here with my co-host. She has energy that would melt the entire planet of martyrs. It's <laughs> Lindsay.
0: <laughs> I certainly to God, get better and better.
1: I mean, this one, I put actually put some energy into Most of the time, i like, what's on my desk right now Punny that I can intended? combine? Oh, uh, uh, I see what uh, you did uh, there.
0: Uh, look at that, full circle.
1: No, but it, we are talking about Princess and the Scoundrel today. And uh, spoiler alert, guys, I, I read this book a really long time ago. So I had to go look up the planet name. I'm like, I know it was Ice, so... And then
0: I, you know what? It's going to be so interesting to talk about this because I also read this a long time ago. We just, we both have so much going on scheduling. This has been a nightmare, but one, I kind of wish I took better notes Two, I, and this is something we're going to have to dive into because I think with more stuff having come out since this, um, specifically a few very key episodes of Andor, I think it's actually changed my opinion about the book.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: Yeah, but again, we'll we'll get into all that.
1: Yeah, we all get into all that. So, just real quick, because we haven't caught up in a minute. Uh, what are you thinking about Andor? And just kind of quick, what are you Star Warsing right now?
0: Uh, Andor has been. I knew I would like it. I didn't know I would like it this much, and have it truly kind of revitalize things a little bit. You know, I, I keep saying it's a show that even if you were not a Star Wars fan, I think this is the best show, one of the best shows you can watch. Uh, I certainly think it is the best Star Wars show, probably with just the exception of Rebels, uh, but the best live action Star Wars show that we have obviously seen yet. And I think that we will see in a really long time. Uh, one thing, not to spoil anything coming out on the next episode of Sith Talk, but I was, I was telling Zach last night when we were recording our episode for it, is what I'm amazed by is the facets of Andor that are really drawing me in and the reasons why I'm staying. I, I don't want to say staying because it's a great, <laughs> great show. I was going to be along for the ride no matter what. Uh, but kind of the, the highlights and my favorite things about the show or just not what I expected them to be.
1: Yeah, I definitely like it a lot more than I expected to. And it's weird because I recognize how good it is. But in the pantheon of like the Star Wars TV shows, it's not one of the top ones. I so I like Mandalorian better for sure. Um, as it stands right now, I like Kenobi better. But I also think that's just more of what I come to Star Wars for. Okay. And, like, this... The story is being executed, like, amazingly. And I'm keeping in mind when I say all of this, that, like, with Mandalorian, with Kenobi, with Rebels and stuff, like, we have the full story of the seasons, right? And right now we're still in the rising action of this story. And so this could very easily change very quickly. But I, I, I just, I come to Star Wars for the forcey stuff, for the the mythos and the, the yeah. real world lessons that come from these otherworldly characters, whether that be something like Mando and the whole Mandalorian culture there, or the Jedi and the Sith and the Force and all of that stuff there. And with andor and this is what it's supposed to be so this isn't necessarily a knock on it but it's just more grounded and it's more like a story that could happen in our universe and so the suspension of disbelief becomes a little bit harder at certain points um but I mean,
0: I mean, it's it's totally fair because of how accurate and consistent that is with other things that you said specifically on this very show about books. Right. Like we say all the time, okay, you know, I I understand that this is a good book and there's a certain audience for it. I'm just not that audience. And I think that the same mentality can absolutely be brought now two shows in Star Wars, but I think it's also such a testament to what Star Wars is becoming and what Disney Plus has allowed Star Wars to become, where you can have enough content and enough variety where there's something for everyone, and not everyone is going to feel 100% so hot and heavy about each piece of material that comes out. Um, right. So I think it's it's consistent to what you've always said about books, so I like that. And I, I do think it's a positive note that you can sit here and be like, yeah, you know, not exactly for me, but I understand why other people like it. And it's it's Disney still doing a good job.
1: Oh, well, look, no, I don't want to be mistaken. I do like it. I like it a lot. So, like, if let's say just on a theoretical 1 to 10 scale, if we put uh, Mandalorian at a 9 and Kenobi at a 8.5, Andor would be like an 8.3. Like, it's really close, and the story isn't finished yet. So, I mean, yeah, I definitely hope I... I, I want this to be something that I look back on and go, oh, man, I've got to rewatch that. Um, but I, it, it might not be, and that, I mean, that that is okay, and I know I don't always go for the things in Star Wars that everybody likes, like, even within the Jedi and the Sith and stuff like I look for different things than a lot of people go to those aspects for and that's fine like that's what Star Wars being a mythos is all about yeah. is being able to uh put yourself in the stories but it's kind of for me right now Andor sits at at like a book of Boba Fett situation where the first half of Book of Boba Fett I know that we're building to something but it's just taking a a really long time to get where I I already know we're going and then Book of Boba Fett turned it around in the last half of this season just blew my mind and so I I I have a feeling there's things are going to change uh for Andor and we're going to start getting into more characters that spending characters with Time with characters that we know more um, now that we've kind of got a a scope of Cassian's life and the person that he is at this time and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, more on that on uh, on Clashing Sabers and uh, of course you guys are covering that over on Sith Talk. So
0: yeah, yeah, I'm I'm excited for you to kind of hear the latest episode of Sith Talk, then, and uh, we can discuss further. I know we have a a little crossover event planned so that we can all talk about it together but yes yeah, some interesting interesting takes yeah
1: yeah and that's what makes that what's what makes this fun and that's what clashing sabers is all about is bringing together these different different perspectives so let's get into our book for today which is the princess and the scoundrel by beth revis and what we like to do here is we give a rating before we have our discussion. We have our discussion, and then we uh, give a rating afterwards. And so, let's do a scale. You know, we do we do the one to five, but let's have it be one to five. Uh, drunk Ewoks at the at the wedding of, of Han and Leia. What do you uh, rate this book?
0: Yeah, I was gonna do a three out of five, but now I feel like because of that rating metric, it has to be like five out of five. Some more on the drunky walks. Uh but no, in all seriousness, I'm gonna give this as a starting um a soft three out of five.
1: A soft three out of five yeah. leaning in one direction or the other?
0: No, which okay. is why I think it's it's kind of soft. I think you uh you have a rare potential here to kind of change my mind either way. Alright.
1: Well I am giving this a solid four out of five. I thought this book was absolutely wonderful. Uh, it knew exactly what it was trying to do, and it did it with craftsmanship that is just Beth Revis through and through. I mean, I I love Rebel Rising. I thought it added so much to Jin's character and enhances Rogue One uh, in a way that I think a lot of people don't uh, really give it credit for because it's in the YA category and this did that for Han and Leia in spades like it was just it was full of symbolism and underlying meanings that set up what we know is going to happen in the future and I just thought Beth Revis like she knew exactly what she wanted to do and took a situation in a book where you really kind of aren't set up for success in the aspect of you've got to do the marriage of Han and Leia which you know is later going to break up and you've also had uh, the courtship of Princess Leia be the other book centered around that plus you have to involve the Halcyon as a major aspect of it to promote uh, you know the the hotel at Galaxy's Edge. Like those are not the best situations to start writing a book from, <laughs> and yet she wrote an absolute classic, in my opinion.
0: Oh, okay. You know what? You had me kind of until you said it was an absolute classic. Because uh, the way I see this story is, huh, I don't want to say a necessary evil, because it's not that it was a bad story or badly done by any chance. I do think I'm a little jaded because some of the stuff that has come out before this has just been so good. You know, I, I loved and have nothing bad to say about, um, what was it, Shadow of the Sith. And I think Brotherhood that came out right before this were, those were, you know, five out of fives for me, essentially. So for me to kind of be coming off of that high and have this, that I, I kind of... had to check myself from time to time and wonder, all right, is it me? Is it a preconceived notion? Am I comparing this to something that it should be compared to? But overall, like, I thought it was a nice story. I thought it was a cute story. I think it was really well done. Some of those points that you bring up, you know, having it be on the Halcyon because you have to have you know, that kind of plug to here is what's happening down for thousands and thousands of dollars that you can be a part of. Like, it sucks that I think it was probably forced into this story. Overall, it wasn't poorly done. It just, it's obvious, right? And for me, it kind of takes me out of the story because it's like, all right, here's this marketing ploy. Um, I think other things that have, you know, taken place kind of, In Black Spire specifically, have done a little bit nicer job where it's just, all right, cool, here's the story centered around this, and it makes sense that the story takes place here. Whereas this story could have taken place elsewhere and kind of been the same if you think about it. I mean, it absolutely
1: Um, could have, but I don't think a lot of time was wasted on going around and. Showing you the halcyon, like I feel like you got a good feel of it, but it wasn't like. And then they walked past this place, and then they walked past that place, and they saw this alien and that alien. It was, it did feel. I will, I will say, it did feel like that was forced in, and it could have been any, any ship or any other situation. Yeah. Um, and that is that that is a knock on it. Like it is a bit of a stretch to send them on a cruise for their honeymoon um, because of this ship is now back being a big deal to people that we don't spend a lot of time with, you know, in the upper echelons of the galaxy. Um, so it's like, it's kind of like a who cares in that aspect mm-hmm. of it. But I think it, Beth Revis took a bad situation with that and you yeah. to really develop, yeah, I, think it Leia's character. Could,
0: I think, but overall though, I mean, I, I, Look for me, the highlights of the story were not in the actual story, right? The highlights of the story were Han and Leia both dealing with with the stuff they obviously had to deal with. I think it's kind of interesting because when you think of how it kind of was rushed into a little bit, the overall marriage doesn't last kind of makes a little bit more sense, which is something I I never thought I would like in a story is let me explain why this marriage didn't last when it's, you know, Han and Leia, my favorite couple growing up. Uh, But I I think it did a really nice job of exploring those themes and and what those characters needed. I do feel though that that was pretty much the first like 25% of the book and then wasn't quite as strong once they left Endor.
1: In, in like, their developing their marriage or in developing the characters individually?
0: Developing the characters. And maybe it was, you know, a better time and place on Endor because it is right after this battle. And Luke is still right there. Um, I'll tell you right away, you know, one of my, my favorite things is Leia kind of watching the funeral py- pyre and mm-hmm. having to come to terms with what this means for Luke, what this means for her and how she can start to deal with it and how that, oh, sorry, puppies stopped flying. we um, yeah, might have a little 10 uh, week old puppy guest starring on this podcast (laughs) because I can't shut him up. Um, But but, but overall, I thought that was kind of one of the cooler moments of this story. And things like that are stuff that I wish we got more of because I think that's where Beth Revis really does thrive and do her best in terms of taking what is billed as a young adult novel and turning it into something that feels very adult and very mature because those are the kind of themes and character development that I don't think a 16-year-old really handles and processes the way we do at Third eh? Yeah. Well, and
1: I, I think, you know, you talked about it being stagnant. I kind of think that's the point. I think they're supposed to be stagnant um, with regards to Han and Lei's character development because... What this story is really about is them being forced to face the fact that these lives that they've finally figured out, they finally figure out who they're supposed to be and these roles that they are supposed to be in. And then those are essentially pulled away from them through the thing that they were trying to achieve. Like they were trying to take down the Empire, but they never planned for the eventuality of that actually happening and the consequences of that. And that's something that they have to face a lot. And that kind of, that scene with the funeral pyre and her screaming, you know, I hate you, was a moment that testified to that because she's literally looking at her tormentor for the last, you know, decade, however long mm-hmm. the, you know, it's been that she's been actively fighting in the war. And yet that is her father. And yeah. you also, ha- so she's, she's stuck, you know, with that. She's stuck with, well, now I can't be a rebel leader. So do I become a senator? Do I become a Jedi? She's got that struggle and she's literally stuck in place. And that reflects Han feeling like, he's stuck in place from being in the Carbonite for for a year. You know, there's a, there's a line that says, uh, it made him feel as if the entire galaxy was passing him by, like he was stagnant while everyone else went into hyperdrive. And that happens in the original trilogy, where it's like, Luke's a Jedi? What? Like, everybody yeah. gets delusions of grandeur. And Han, you know, is having to catch up. But in this story, he... To me, he feels or he seems like he knows he needs to move forward, but he doesn't know how to do it. And so he's stuck there. And Leia knows she has to move forward, but she doesn't want to. So you've got Han trying to move forward, Leia not wanting to move forward, and it's only like when they meet in the middle there and they that they get that balance that they're able to Uh, you know, kind of become what we want Han and Leia to be. Uh, Which, you know, we've got tidbits of their marriage in Last Shot, in Bloodline and stuff. And until Kylo, uh, or Ben becomes Kylo, it feels like they had a pretty happy marriage. And so it's nice to see when you have a situation where they are rushing into this, like they do on Endor, that they kind of are putting in the work to meet each other where they're at and i thought that that was a really cool journey to and a cool approach to take to this story where we kind of just always accepted like han and leia lived happily ever after for the longest time and then it became han and leia didn't live happily ever after and now it's like well they do and they don't because that's what happens in a situation like they're in, when you are, you know, Han Solo and Princess Leia, and then you lose your son, and it. So to me, this just really locked in a solid starting point for what we get in the future stories with them.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, oh man, here's where I'm struggling because I know you're right. Okay. And I agree. There's really no way you can argue because again, like, yes, that is the point. Yes, it was well done. But my question to you is, is it compelling? I didn't find it necessarily compelling enough where I'm sitting there like, oh man, like, gotta see what happens next. Or even at the end of it, it's like, man, this is a story that I don't know how I lived this long without. Again, I think I'm kind of jaded because Brotherhood was like that. And Shadow of the Sith was like that. I think this was an extremely well-written. And, you know, when it, when we think about all the points that we typically bring up with the Star Wars book is, how was the voices of these characters? What did it tie into? Like, I think Leia was... You know not claudia gray level written but still exceptional and i love so much that she sits there all the time and and kind of refuses to even though she knows the truth about who her birth father is when she talks about father and mother she still means bale and brya and i think that there's little details like that that go a long way in tying into things like Princess of Alderaan, and even like Bloodline, where we start to learn a little bit more about how long it took Leia to grapple with all this. You know, it it hits all the stuff that it has to hit. It just doesn't do it in an exceptional way like we have, in my opinion, been getting used to over the past few months. I will say, I think the element of Han kind of coming back from a year where everyone's moved on and he has literally been frozen in time. It's just a really cool story to explore. And I'm happy that we got that because that, if anything, is the, oh man, I never thought I really needed this story, but I think I probably did.
1: Yeah, that was something I honestly never even thought of, you know, because Return of the Jedi just jumps over that gap and gets you right back into it so quickly. And I know they're covering that year uh, in the comics, but I'm, I'm not keeping up with the comics, truth be told. And so I've got... Yeah, some... but even
0: in keeping up with that year, Han's not in that year. Han's not know? in that, right. <laughs> but, that I think is the thing with Return of the Jedi is he seems to accept it so quickly because there's so much going on, but now it's that moment of, oh, there's no distractions. I have to face this. And I think that's why we as fans never really thought oh, he has to face this is because we too were brought right into the action with him.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I, I definitely agree with you on that aspect. And I think this book gave him time to wrap his head around that in a way that we haven't really had the chance to see before because everything with Han ends up being action-adventure. And this is action-adventure for sure, but it was less about him piloting a ship and doing a heist and, you know, uh, cosplaying as an Imperial to sneak in and steal something. It was him facing the altering relationships with the people that he cared about. And there was a line in here, and this just, this to me is a testament to Everything that shows that he is willing to grow and change in a way because of his love for Leia that he wasn't able to before, particularly with Kira. So the the line is, he could separate those emotions from Leia and he could see all of her. Leia fractured herself for everyone, the strong warrior for the rebellion, the savvy politician for the Senate, the gracious leader for the people. But she was whole in front of him, multifaceted and sometimes cracked, but whole he had to love the whole of her or nothing at all that's the way it was with leia all or nothing he chose all and that is a level of maturity that we don't see from han anywhere else and it if you look back at solo he kind of just expects kira to still have feelings for him and like we know she does, based on the the story that they tell, and particularly in the solo novelization. But he takes it for granted in a lot of ways. I'm gonna show up, and she's going to love me because that's what's supposed to happen, right? He in not in a a uh, chauvinistic way, but in an immature way, he he kind of expects it to be given to him. And here, he's facing the fact that he has to change and he has to accept Leia as she is, even though at the time he is extremely upset and frustrated with her. And it would be really easy for him to go, I've made a mistake. And a lot of times Han Solo would say, I made a mistake and cut and run. But here he is choosing to stay and stick in the fight. And I love that in both her relationship with Luke and her relationship with Han like Leia does that for people. She compels them to accept as the, as it says here, the multifaceted aspect of people and to become better individuals and I just love getting to explore how like we get a lot to explore Leia and her journey which we do in this book, but I love exploring how Leia affects the people around her and especially the people closest to her
0: yeah it's it's an interesting take on it um because while leia is your favorite hans my favorite he always has been since i was nine years old you know and and that's been consistent so for me it's not even so much just seeing that aspect from okay this is leia's you know what's the word i'm looking for leia being kind of like the not the foil but i guess kind of the catalyst that makes him stop and think about this What I like about this Rick Hahn is how he's still learning and growing, even outside of his relationship with Leia for himself. You know, he at one point is talking about uh, Mon Mothma's kind of loyalty to her home planet and how he really admires that because he never had it. And he takes a step further where he doesn't say it, you know, begrudgingly. And he doesn't try and run from it, you know, figure he has spent at this point like 30 years trying to run from certain things. But this is the first time where we see him kind of just start to accept, you know what, this was my past, this was the way things are, but look at what I have now.
1: Yeah, and he's always running to or running from, like, right? he, he's running <laughs> to Kira to try to catch her. He's running away from Jabba the Hutt, you know, he's always going one way or the other and here he just stays yeah and that sounds yeah. negative when you say it like he just stays but that's that is growth for him is, is yeah but if you if place. you
0: take out the just you know he he was running you know away or running too and now he stays you know if you take out the word just it's it's much more impactful and it's much more meaningful and it's much more accurate to him, yeah. Yeah. and and I like this this kind of story, the princess and the scoundrel, because it really is not just a princess and the scoundrel. It's here we're de- going to develop each of them individually, but we'll also do it together. It's almost like a more accurate title for this would be the princess and slash or the scoundrel.
1: Yeah, I I really liked the going back and forth format that we got. Uh, A lot of times when books do that, I have a problem with it because it feels as though you're forcing it, like, oh, now we have to have a Han chapter, now we have to have a Leia chapter. But it was pretty clear that Beth Revis, you know, was very intentional in the format that she chose, and she had individual arcs planned for them. Like, I imagine her having, like, two timelines, one for Han and one for Leia, and just, like, staggering them a little bit. And she's got everything laid out, and what do they need to achieve to get us to see, like, what does Han need to achieve to get us to see the next step for Leia, and what does Leia need to achieve to get us to the next step for Han, and that's a really cool way to go back and forth, is seeing their relationship to each other shift a lot, so... I want to talk for a minute about the the visual symbolism uh, that they have in here. Per- two instances in particular. One of them uh, being the rings uh, that they wed themselves with. And the other being the ice planet of martyrs. Because I thought both were used very, very uh, effectively. And so there's this line... Uh, from towards the end of the book, when her uh, when her ring's coming apart, and it says her ring, which had been slowly unraveling, was gone. The amber made of vine and blessed by Ewok elders, the ring that symbolized her marriage, gone. Her fingers curled into a fist, hiding the place her ring should have been. If that is just not the coolest moment of <laughs> foreshadowing ever, like it literally, that is their marriage. It was.
0: I can't say. It was. With those rings, this is going to be so weird and so nerdy of me, but I feel like you, as especially someone who just got married, will understand this. I think so often you see like the cool stuff online of how people incorporate their fandoms into their wedding ceremonies. And I was like, man, I wish this was like, physically possible. Right? <laughs> this, is, this is what I would have done.
1: <laughs> well, and then to get the um, the ring from The Last Jedi to be the ring he gives her at the end... Is super cool because you know we see that after she's lost him, and so I haven't watched Last Jedi since uh, since reading this book. But I feel like you know those moments when she touches the ring now mean so much more because the the ring that he gave her in the Ewa, you know, on Endor, it withered and faded away. But after that, he gave her something more solid and more of a commitment, right? And she kept it and she still wore it even after losing him, even after they were separated because their separation wasn't about them not loving each other. It was a case of they lost Ben and they didn't know how to relate to each other or the world anymore. And... I like that now we have this story that shows that they can do it and they could have done it because it it makes it more tragic in a positive so, way.
0: you know what? I would even look at it the opposite way, though, of not a, oh, they could have done it. I think it shows more of the significance of what Ben did and the impact it had on them. I think it makes it more... I don't want to say dramatic, um, but it, it raises the, the bar a little bit for the impact that they had. And it's not just like, oh, their marriage wasn't strong enough. Like it's, you know, something that you probably can never really know unless God forbid you ha- you and your spouse had lost a child, you know? And, and right. I think it raises the bar that much more.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It It, it makes the fall so much steeper. You know, yeah. and I think that this book did that a lot. Like, it, it tied into, especially Last Jedi. I feel like Beth Revis is a big Last Jedi fan, because...
0: Like, yeah, this- <laughs> I too have to re-watch Last Jedi, not even for this, but the uh, little barks and squeaks that you hear underneath me is my little uh, 10-week-old puppy. And his favorite toy just so happens to be a Porg. Um, so I really want to watch The Last Jedi with him and see if he while watching TV with me, starts to freak out for the Porg.
1: <laughs> like I did in the theater when they exactly. finally came the on the screen.
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, but, it works with my nephews, though. They were too young for Last Jedi, so I think I. Uh, you might remember, I still have the video, if not, but, you know, I had always gotten them Porg toys, and then I have videos of them freaking out over Porgs on commercials.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know. I remember that. And I mm. remember sitting in the theater for that. You know, I had been wearing Porg shirts. I'd already had <laughs> Porg plushes and everything. <laughs> and the biggest fear was what if they're not in the story a lot like
0: that was everybody's (laughs) concern one type thing and they just cut them
1: all they just don't appear at all so when we were got like a full clean shot of them I was like yes it's happening so but no there's this moment um with Leia and it's talking about her being tired it says she was so deeply tired of all of it every victory was met with more loss more fight every attempt she made to do more be more was undermined by a callous universe that seemed to revel in watching her struggle and she tried so hard to hold on to the hope not just for herself but for the whole galaxy and what did she have to show for it this made the the biggest issue i have with last jedi palpable and the biggest issue i have with Last jedi is when leia says it's done it's over We've lost all hope, right? And I, I I don't like seeing Leia lose her hope. I love seeing Luke come back and, and give her that hope, right? But I don't like seeing her lose it. It's a weird dichotomy to have. And in Bloodline, we get her, you know, she's worn out from the Senate and everything like that. And she wants to leave and and ends up leaving and starting the resistance. And that's more of a hopeful act. Whereas here, I like that we got this moment to just like actually get validation that all of this stuff actually does wear on her. And as you know, you and I know this, as you age, like the things that you used to be able to take start to wear you down even more. And so this 30 year gap of constantly feeling like there's, you know, we were talking about this before the show, right when they kick you in one part, and you get over that, and they punch you in another, it's exhausting. And so, to me that added a lot to Leia's character and kind of understanding how she can go from where we see her at the end of return of the Jedi to where we see her in bloodline. And then even in the harder moments of last Jedi.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it's something you also really and truly need. Like the analogy I always make is that I'm not the biggest captain America fan. And that's because me, captain America is, is too good. And it's, too easy and he he never seems to struggle with things and he's always doing the right thing so i always like whenever you can uh, the screenwriting term for it is put your character in a tree and throw rocks at them uh, i i always for as much as it hurts something i'm always here for
1: so speaking of of rocks to throw at her hm. um there was a lot of connections between leia and anakin in this book like did you
0: oh yeah but i mean that's that's kind of the point you know of oh no absolutely look she yeah but but i think it's interesting because it's not like she knows that there are connections we as the reader do but it's it's one of those weird things where it doesn't necessarily move her or the story forward it just moved it along in the reader's eyes because she didn't know that these were the connections being made
1: ooh see okay that's interesting because the the first moment we got of that, if I'm recalling correctly, was the "I hate you" screaming at the funeral pyre, and that was a cool moment where you're like, "Ah, okay, that's the same thing that Anakin said to Obi Wan. I like, all that yeah. stuff, right?" And it, <laughs> but except
0: she seems to have the high ground on this one. Uh, I don't know. That pyre was really
1: really high up, and I mean Carrie Fisher was <laughs> was on the short. She side was
0: dining. Side.
1: Uh, but. It was, like, that was a cool moment that I would agree with you. It didn't, the connection with Anakin didn't really move her forward. But later, as she's starting to relate to the Force and feel the Force and and figure out what it is and connect to it, she has a line where she says, what's the point of power if it can't save the people I love? Mm -hmm. Leia asked, her voice breaking. And like, yes, that might, she might not know that that's Anakin, but that does move her story forward.
0: Yeah, but not not in the sense that she understands this connection, while meanwhile, this is what she's trying to run from.
1: Yeah, no, 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 I, I agree with you there, yeah. Um, but I do think, like, you know, a lot of times we get these stories and the connections are made just for the reader's sake, you know, and, and they don't, they're Easter eggs and callbacks and stuff. And it's really cool, but it doesn't really add much to the story. This, I felt like added a lot to her journey. Um, and, and it helped make sense, make more sense of why she would stop her Jedi training once she had the vision of of ben and and him not being able or her, her losing her son because of it like she's already kind of touched this what we would call you know this darkness because we've seen what happens to Anakin and so she's seen that the force can be intoxicating and instead of trying to save the one she loves she sacrifices her own wants and needs to be able to try and give him a chance and ultimately we see that like he does get that chance because she continues to sacrifice herself for him whereas here with this connection with Anakin it's all about her trying to control that connection and she's always been and and this is something you know we get in the Kenobi series I think adds to this Leia Princess of Alderaan like even when Leia's in a tough situation, she's always in control of whatever situation she's in. Um, like, that's just who she is. And so getting her to realize, I now have, not now have, but you know, she didn't know before, but I can now access this power of the Force and I have this political power. Like, she had everything that Anakin needed to be able to do what Anakin wanted to do and we know what that means and so when i look at luke and leia a lot of times i go all right where did their stories divert from anakin's because they're obviously you know so connected to him and we don't really have a lot of that with leia of seeing where her story diverts from that and this is it this is when she realizes the intoxication of power and she puts it down and I, I just, I really dug that.
0: I'll give you that much. That, uh, I think, a much nicer way, not a nicer way, but uh, a nicer thing, I think, to focus on and to really highlight and bring out about this story.
1: Yeah. Well, and there's a, the point that kind of brings it all home uh, that I just love is that Han Actually, says to her, "All I'm saying is you need to be yourself. Find a way to to the Force if you even want to." And it's like, did Han just understand the Force better than the Skywalkers ever really did? (laughs)
0: Like, Uh, sometimes though, like there's there's uh, nothing else comes to mind, unfortunately, right now. But there's been a few moments over uh, over my life where I've kind of thought that about him. And I think it's it's just a nice testament to Han and kind of how maybe the forces is, I don't want to say the Force is simple, but there's a commonality in the Force uh, that, that the deep thinkers and the Jedi seem to overlook sometimes.
1: Yeah, it's like we, you know, guilty as charged, but we look so much into Star Wars, sometimes we start seeing these connections that like... Later, we look back and go, that was, I was being really flexible with the interpretation there. Like, or I was very much overthinking what they actually meant. And it takes, like, somebody who's not as invested to say, like,
0: no. Almost like someone with a certain Tauntaun short story. Oh, no, I'm not wrong about that at all. (laughs) I wasn't overthinking at all.
1: No. No. Uh, that, is, that is the hill uh, you will find my <laughs> gravestone on. So let's go to, to Martyrs and talk about that okay. um, with, with the little bit of time we have left because I just thought it was really cool how they developed this planet and particularly the art aspect of it. Um, I was really moved by the scene of the pendulum swinging And the question's asked, how many times could the brittle, thinning ice be scratched before it shattered? Which is like, that's the Republic. That's Han and Leia. That's the Jedi. Like, it's just, it's a slow and steady erosion. Um, How did you feel about, like, going to this ice planet? Because we've had Hoth before, right? It's like, okay, we're going to another ice planet. But they did something with it.
0: Well, yeah, I think for me, though, the the biggest takeaway here, and maybe this is me, my Tauntaun story, you know, and maybe I'm overthinking something that doesn't need to be overthought. But it's, it's so funny, because I thought you were going to bring this in while we were talking about those comparisons to Anakin. Um, because this was a big comparison, I thought and found is here we have this entire story about. Not the entire story is about it, but a good chunk of this story is about Leia developing her relationship with the Force and finding really who she is in this post Empire world. Meanwhile, her father became Darth Vader and went to a fire planet. What does she do? You know, as as he is building up this empire, he goes to a fire planet and becomes essentially more and more evil. What does she do as after she destroys this empire, she goes to an ice planet and she's coming to terms with all of this baggage and what it means moving forward. So I thought that was actually the, the big symbolism that you were headed for.
1: No, I didn't make that connection, but I do think there's something to it. Like the fire for Anakin ignites this anger and hate, whereas it Going to, like, ice planets, you know, and, and winter and stuff, y- you have the the death symbolism that they create, right? And Leia is, in a way, dying to her preconceived notions about what the after-effects of the war would be. Like, she is pretty clear that she believed in the happily ever after. Like, she knew that the fight wasn't going to just end end, but she also felt like it should, and so she was kind of gypped a little bit that she didn't get that, and she's got to come to terms with, you know, being out of control of a situation that she's responsible for, and that's not to say that Leia shouldn't have been fighting the fight. She absolutely should have, and that's not to say that she wasn't a good leader. She absolutely was, but you can't lead, especially in a war, you can't without consequences like that just, I mean, you can't do anything without consequences, but the stakes are a lot higher when you're fighting for a galaxy. And so, no, I think you're spot on with that. And
0: yeah. And one, to know what's funny. I don't know if this makes me a really good star Wars fan or a really bad star Wars fan, but when thinking about other ice planets, I actually didn't think of Hoth at all. My, my first thought always goes to Ilum.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, Visually, I think this one was a lot closer to Ilum because this is like yeah. an ice planet, Maybe
0: that's what more is, yeah. so
1: than a, than a snow planet. Oh my god, how uh, how fanservicey would it have been if like she just is sitting there and then all of a sudden here's a calling and she finds her Kyber crystal,
0: <laughs> and she rides off for it on Tauntaun.
1: Yes, obviously. <laughs> Oh man, so yeah, I, I like I said for me, this book hit the marks that I I just really love in this side of Star Wars, and I say this side of Star Wars because this is a slower book. It doesn't have the action uh, and the the pace of a Shadow of the Sith. It doesn't have uh, you know the stakes of brotherhood. It's a yeah. it's a more intimate story in a, in a deep character study, but it builds the characters in new ways, uh, and and in subtle ways that I think you really have to take the time to think about and consider when you're reading. I don't think this is a book that you can just read and put on the shelf and be like, okay, cool. That I read that one. Like this is a book to me that you have to sit and think about and,
0: Oh, see, to me it is a uh, put on the shelf, and okay, I read that one. So I, I to be honest, I'm going to keep my rating actually at a three, but less of a soft three and more of a positive three, um, only because to me, yeah, all those points are right, and it's it's a good book. There's nothing necessarily bad about it, but it's also not like anything is done exceptionally well where you're sitting there and be like, man, this, you know, when you think about some aspect of a star Wars book, whether it be character development or relationship building, or even the force and, and some, you know, big political or action thing. I don't think anything is done exceptionally well where you're like, Oh, I'm going to point to princess and scoundrel when people ask me what a great star Wars book is.
1: That's fair. And I, I'm going to keep mine at a four, but I'm going to move it to a softer four because I think your critiques are absolutely spot on. Um, I think the way that you approach this book, and, and I mean, you know, you, not as you individually, but you yeah. as a general you, is going to influence how you take this book. I think if you want to read this book just to read it, then yes, it's it's average. If you want to read this book to look for the deeper aspects and connections and uh, things that create more of a slow burn for what we get in the sequel trilogy, uh, I think you will enjoy this book significantly more. So
0: look yeah. at us having a nice discussion about things we don't agree on accepting each other's views on it, respecting it and moving on.
1: Yeah, we're going to have to throw this up I mean, in the trash. We can't yeah. use
0: this. <laughs> I was going to say I'm not saying society could learn a lot from us, but maybe I'm, they could.
1: I'm not saying we are perfect but i'm also yeah. not saying
0: that. <laughs> but if you guys want to say it
1: yeah you can do that by leaving us a rating on whatever podcast catcher you are listening to us on right now uh and subscribe to our feed because you know we referenced uh, Lindsay is on sith talk i am on the clashing sabers main show uh we also have forever star wars uh adriana is working on a new show that she's putting together that we'll have more on later so you get all of that just by staying in this one feed uh usually at least a podcast a week sometimes more so buckle up because we've got a lot of stuff coming out uh, as we continue on with andor as we continue to get more books the high republic is back so that's a lot of fun and if, uh, if you want to help us to put more Star Wars books into classrooms, including High Republic books, uh, you can do that by supporting our Patreon, uh, where we give 100% of the money to buying and shipping books to students and getting them into uh, the classrooms of teachers that you choose uh, by going over to our website and uh, nominating a teacher. So you can do all of that. You can find all of those links in the show notes and also over on clashingsabers.net. So, Lindsay, tell them what you have going on and uh, what they have to look forward to.
0: Yeah, you guys can always find me, obviously, here on Don't Run the Sacred Text. You can also find me over on Sith Talk, where Zach and I do have similar uh, (laughs) debates, a little bit less civil sometimes than what you just heard Brandon and I do. Uh, you can also always find me over on our Facebook group. I would love anytime someone uh, tags me in a post there just to make sure I see it, even though sometimes it's a couple days delayed as I'm finding. Uh, but I promise within a couple days I always do see it and love jumping in any discussions over on our Facebook group.
1: Yeah, so again, all of those links are available for you in the show notes. Uh, so you just are, are a click away from all of our content uh i think that's it i think we're gonna wrap it up we're probably gonna have a lot of uh, don't burn the sacred text coming out in the next couple months here yeah. because we are we're hitting one of those moments where books are just stacking up which is a really good but stressful problem to have so while you're waiting for our next episode while you're reading your next star wars book remember to keep reading and keep writing but whatever you do